everybody. Welcome back to Investing Unscripted. I'm Jason Hall, joined as usual by Jeff Santoro, the voice of the people. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how are you, my bud? I'm good, dude. And it's not just me and you today. There's a lot, a lot of people on the screen in front of us that are going to be on the podcast with us today. Yes, there are. So for the for the second year in a row, we are doing a Reckless Predictions show. And this year, we thought it would be fun to invite on our podcasting friends. So everyone here uh, is involved in podcasting. Some new guests, one new guest, some returning guests. We'll introduce them all here in a moment. But uh, we'll have a fun, fun chat here, make some reckless predictions about 2024. And then next year, Jason and I will not invite you guys back and we'll just make fun of your bad your bad calls. So that's how this works. We're going to do it for last year's guests too. Unless they're good, and then we'll invite you back and celebrate them together. Correct. But yes. All right. So Jason, why don't you introduce everyone? Yeah. So first of all, this should be familiar to any long-term listeners to our show. We have Brett and Ryan from Chit Chat Money, and we also have Simon Erickson from Seven Investing. I'm going to start things off. Ryan and Brett. Ryan, you go first. Like I said, folks are familiar with you, but tell a little bit about yourselves. Yeah. Brett and I are the hosts of the Chit Chat Money podcast, which all of you guys have been guests on at some point. We basically, like yourselves, banter about all things financial markets. And then we also do basically one to two shows a week where it's diving into either a specific industry or a specific stock, which we call our not so deep dive, which we kind of named in jest because people were saying our research wasn't great. So the, so we called it the not so deep dive instead of the deep dive. I like to beg to differ. I like to think we do a pretty good job, but I just uh, love that the I'll naming is that. entirely trolling somebody. That's the best part of it to me. We, we were trying to come up with a different name and I thought not so deep dive kind of stuck. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, my name's Brett. I'm the other co-host of Chit Chat Money. Uh, also do, I guess, writing for the Motley Fool. So if you see some clickbait headlines uh, out there, those could possibly be written by me. But yeah, Ryan, I think summed it up. We do a lot of stock analysis on the show, a lot of research and trying to interview people and stuff like that and excited for the what we may call the classic year-end show where we do these reckless predictions because everyone always forgets about what we say but they're still very very fun to discuss you know although i know all my predictions are going to be wrong in about a year from now well that's the fun part when they're wrong so yeah Yeah. that's that's that is fun but i think it's there's like investing toolbox i'm going to reach in this before simon before you get a chance to share i just want to say that it's the values in the planning not in the outcome necessarily so it's the fun of thinking through these things and then acting in a totally different manner because you know you're going to be wrong. I think that's really important. Simon Erickson, buddy, you and I have known each other for a long, long time, all the way back to Motley Fool days. Past few years, you've been doing your own thing, Seven Investing. Tell us about it. I I was trying to remember how long it's been too, Jason. I think it's been about a decade, at least 10 years, you and I have been buddies and, and talking stocks together. I came into the Motley Fool as one of the very first writers for their blog network. If you remember that from a, from a decade ago, and, uh, yep. yeah, went through the, the analyst ranks and uh, worked with the rule breaker service and then also ran a service called Molly Pool Explorer there. And then in 2020, like you said, kind of changed things up a little bit, started my own business called seven investing. Our website is seveninvesting.com, and our team of advisors finds our very favorite ideas in the stock market, makes actual recommendations each and every. And you also have a podcast for your members as well. Hence the connection here with our podcasting crew. Simon, it is awesome to have you on. Brett and Ryan, it is awesome to have you guys back. We're not even going to ask you guys to give us ratings and reviews on our podcast this week. We got too much other stuff to talk about. Time for some reckless predictions. On to you, Jeff. All right. So 
I thought it'd be fun if we just went around the room. There's no real format to this. Someone can go first, share a reckless prediction, and then we can all share our thoughts, ask questions, laugh at it, whatever we want to do. I'm just going to arbitrarily pick Brett because you're the first person on the screen, like the way things are arranged for me. So why don't you kick us off here? Give us, give us a reckless prediction for 2024. Okay. A lot of pressure to start out. I, I have a couple here and I didn't really choose any sort of ranking. So I was just going to choose which one kind of, you know, felt best to me at the time of recording. And I'll probably go with, I think the one that can maybe spur the most discussion. And this kind of leads back to me and Ryan did some reckless ish predictions at the end of 2022. And one of them that I had spoiler, it was wrong. It kind of relates to this one and it was probably a bit too ambitious, but it ended up being directly correct was that Amazon would finish 2023 as the largest company in the world by market cap, which the stock went up about 75% this year. So directionally it was correct, but it's still about half the size of Microsoft and Apple. So that was maybe a bit too reckless, but I'm actually going to re up that one and say that Amazon finishes 2024 as the largest company in the world by market cap. And I don't know how much I believe this one, but I think I believe it a bit more than last year. And I, I think it could spur some great discussion. So I'm curious your guys' thoughts here. I, I love this because this is like the equivalent of the broken clock being right at least twice a day sort of thing with your stock predictions. So I think it's fantastic uh, because it's like a bull. It's like one of those bullish because there's always the doomers, right? The guy, the one guy that like called the, the market downturn and he got like he predicted 700 of the last four crashes, right? Because he predicted them all the time. And of course, so he now gets invited on CNBC all the time, that kind of thing. So this is like a bullish version of that, Brett. I love it. I love it. So what's the, what was the thinking in 2022? What's the thinking now that you think gets them there? I mean, you don't have to get into like super detail, but like what's the quick thesis on how, you, how they get to be the biggest company by market cap? Yeah, so I think the thesis is, is honestly similar. I thought there would be a pretty big margin inflection on e-commerce slash non-AWS side of things in 2023. It wasn't as big as maybe I expected over the first few quarters, but we're really seeing that over the last two quarters. And I think that's just going to continue into 2024. And I believe that people are really underrating the, the core profitability of the Amazon online business. And then I think there was a ton of bearishness and still probably is some hesitancy around AWS versus Microsoft Azure. And look, I'm no expert on the cloud, but if you just listen to what Amazon said in 2023, which is yeah this year, they were helping their customers out by saving costs as kind of there was the software downturn. They had more exposure to the startup market. So that hurt them a lot more than say Azure and Google Cloud. And then the generative AI stuff, they were clearly behind at the start, but are really getting there behind some gear going into the next year or so and trying to catch up here. So people are seeing, you know, Azure's growth rate. They just look at that revenue number and they say, wow, Azure's growing quicker than AWS. And I think we're just going to see a normalization in that. And the, this oligopoly of cloud companies will continue to grow and people are going to get like, this is not how any of us invest on a one-year time frame. But if I'm looking at the one-year time frame, I could see people by the end of next year becoming optimistic on AWS again. And the e-commerce business gets to 10% plus operating margin that we see this company generating over $100 billion in operating income. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're valued at over $3 trillion. So that's, that's a perfect opportunity before Simon gives his first reckless prediction to promote our 
next investing unscripted 2024 portfolio contest where we are judging our acumen on a one-year rate of return. So stay tuned for that episode coming out soon. Simon, what's your reckless prediction? Your first reckless prediction. You have a passel of them, so you say. I had to go reckless, Jason. I couldn't just go with something normal. I had to make this crazy and zany and fun for you guys. So my first reckless prediction is that in 2024, the Tesla Cybertruck is going to outsell the Ford F-150 Lightning in America. Now, why is that significant? Because, first of all, EVs are new. We know this is an important market, and we know the Cybertruck has been delayed for a while, but it's finally got its first deliveries that are leaving out of Austin going to customers now, right? We're starting from scratch, from ground zero here. Whereas the F-150, the gas-powered F-150 truck, is one of the best sell is the best selling vehicle in America, right? Down here in Texas, vehicle, best selling vehicle, yeah, best selling vehicle. Well, right down in Te down in Texas, they have more F one fifties than they have kids down in this, right? So yeah. this is like they're trying they're to drive in Texas too. Let's be honest. That's right. That, it's right. It's status symbol down here. But you know, as Ford is trying to transition from the internal combustion engine to the electric vehicle, obviously it's got an opportunity to disrupt itself, so to speak, if it can put on an electric truck. But it also just cut its production forecast by 50% for the Lightning. Right. Right. They said they're going to go back. They're going to cut it back to 1,600 vehicles per week, which would be 83,000 for the full year. And actually, they're not even selling at capacity right now. They're selling less than that. Whereas Tesla is saying, hey, we're going to ramp ours up to 250,000 steady state. You're not going to have that in the first year. But I still think when you look at the total <laughs> numbers, I think the Cybertruck, as new and zany as it might be, outsells one of the most iconic brands in the shift to electric vehicles next year. Bold. It's a bold. That answer. is that is bold. I that is yeah. It's interesting how both like Cybertruck's ramming and F one fifty is really stalled out on. Or excuse me, Ford is really stalled out on the Lightning. There, it's it's quite underwhelmed. I'd say. I think that's a. I think that's actually a really good prediction, Simon. Because when you're comparing it to the electric F one fifty, for sure. What I wonder with the Cybertruck is how many actual potential. Like I, I have a feeling it's going to cater to non truck people, like the person who never would really buy a, a truck but wants the cyber truck so i think it's going to be fascinating to see how that that plays out that's a i like that okay oh, question yeah go ahead jason sorry yeah no a couple thoughts on that too like the the so i had paid a deposit for an f-150 lightning and ended up not getting it because the price changes and accessibility and some stuff like that and now i get i've left them on i get these regular emails from ford and i could drive 30 minutes in any direction and go on truck lots and look at 15 of these trucks any given day, they're out there, they're available to buy. So it's definitely an issue for Ford, that's for sure. My biggest question for, for Tesla though, is can they make 100,000? Can they make 85,000, right? Can they actually produce them? They've had so many issues, the steel they're trying to use, the weighted, like all of the challenges they've had, it's like production health squared. So if, if they can make enough, they'll sell them. I just don't know if they can make enough. And I think the, the common mathematical calculation for it is, and this is very technical, Jason, so bear with me, but you take Elon's number that he says and divide it by two to what is actually going to be possible. <laughs> yeah, divided by two plus three years, I think. Right, so that's right. Yeah, plus three years. years. We're at that part, right? So there we but go. He, he says that he's going to get to 125,000 steady state by the end of next year and that he's already got a million people indicating interest in, in buying the Cybertruck. Whether or not that's actually true or not, I'm certainly... That some of it is true. That could be interesting. All right. No, that is going to be fascinating to watch, however it shakes out, because everything with Elon Musk is interesting in some way. All right. Let's go to Ryan. You can go next. What's your first reckless prediction? 
Well, I'll, I'll first add to Simon's point there, some anecdotal evidence here. I was at the mall Christmas shopping and they've got one of those Tesla showrooms, you know, where it's got all the cars, but you like, you know, it's like a, like a faux dealership kind of thing. Like you can look at them, but you can't, can't buy whatever the, uh, there was a cyber truck. And I got to say the demand is certainly there. This line was like out the door around the corner for like tons of people just wanted to go and see this thing. So. I think I'm, I stand with Jason there, which is the, the demand is there. The production's kind of the question. My reckless predictions, I'm going to provide three with zero data to support them or back them up. First, the Magnificent Seven equal weighted will finish down next year. So 2024, if you take the Magnificent Seven, which I think is Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google, NVIDIA, Tesla, Meta, Meta. down. Total returns will be negative. Housing, the average home price in America will finish down 10% relative to next, relative to this point, the current price today, down 10%, same time next year. I said that last year, and I think it's like kind of close. So whatever, no data to support it. Last one, match group will be acquired. If it's still trading at this price next year, it will have been acquired. Those are my three. First of all, I want to say, Having no data to support your predictions is exactly the vibe of this show. So well done. You nailed the spirit. I think the Mag 7 one is interesting because I was thinking about this as we were not to plug next week's episode too, too much, but we're doing this portfolio contest. So tune in next week to hear how that's going to go. But I, having done this one year stock picking game for two years in a row now, so much of it is not so much how much you like the business, but where it's trading on December 31st in terms of thinking about just this one year game. So do you, do you think that those seven stocks will underperform simply because they've had such a good run this year? Or do you think there's some number of them that, that actually do have some fundamental challenges that will manifest in 2024? Or oh, is it both? That's a good question. Cause like I said, I've got no data to back it up. So, so I'm going to go make with some data up. the, do you think some of the valuations? We will not fact check your data. Yeah, there's fact checking here. So I got a couple of things. I do think Apple has had, there's some headwinds. I think some of the app store stuff, if anything materializes both yeah. between them and Google, whether it's just headlines or potential impact, I think it can affect what people are betting on for the stock, especially related to the search engine deal, the Safari deal. So I think there's some headwinds for both those companies. NVIDIA, I, I don't, like I said, nothing to back it up except for the fact that I just, it's, it's done so well that I, I think it won't be able to do that again. And then, yeah, it's probably got to do mostly with just performance that some of them have done so well that it seems I'm just betting on a little bit of mean reversion here. Uh, but like I said, I would not invest this way at all. I just, my, my gut tells me it'll finish down and it won't. The. I think the S&P will I was going to say this I was going to say this yeah. combines with mine too. If all these are down, Amazon is up, those still can be, you know, equal weighted underperformance, but Amazon will we can combine it. The Amazon will finish the largest company in the world still, right? That's, so here's, uh, here's the question yeah. for the whole group then. If let's say Ryan's correct, okay? And and equal weighted the Mag 7 ends the year down. Does the S&P 500 have any chance of staying above water in 2024? Well, they're thirty no. percent today, right? Thirty percent right. of so, the index. So you're making a you're also making a call that the market finishes down next year too, basically, right? I mean, depends how far it's down, right? If it's yeah, only down like five, ten percent, down like one yeah. percent or something, yeah. But. Yeah, but I mean, you've got to see a lot of stocks rip, and and expecting those stocks to rip when the most 
powerful, largest, most profitable, biggest companies in the world are down is a really stupid bet. <laughs> I don't think that's that's the reality, but I do think like mean reversion, just thinking Apple's 30 times earnings, Microsoft's probably similar to that. It's like, I can kind of make that justification for Microsoft with the AI stuff and their ability to like leverage and monetize. But again, Apple, the headwinds they're facing are material and Google is the same way. Look at what's happening with you know, Alphabet's facing, they're dealing with $750 million. That's couch cushion money for Alphabet, but it's still like, the meaningful impact on their future revenues beyond the the like the costs of some of the litigation they're dealing with with monetizing the their their app store and how that carries over to potential implications for apple those are real things right i'm going to throw some numbers out there jeff before i give my prediction because they're relevant to my prediction but also to ryan's and to brett's so this is the year to date returns we're recording this on the 19th of December, the market's not, year's not over and the market's not quite closed when we're recording this. But the Magnificent Seven stocks are up between 51% and 239% this year. So we have three that are up more than 51%. The other four that are up at least 80% and three of those four are up more than double. And two of them are essentially tripled, right? Massive, massive returns. Here's the thing. So that's the beginning of 2022. You go back to the, or the beginning of 2023. You go back to the beginning of 2022. This will blow your mind. If you removed NVIDIA, if you removed NVIDIA from the Magnificent 7 and it was just the Magnificent 6 in aggregate, they'd be basically down from where they were almost two years ago, right? They would be basically down, right? So what you're essentially predicting is that six of the most profitable companies in the world over a three-year period are going to be down. Okay, that's fine. I'll buy that. But I, will, gonna... <laughs> I, I also say I could very easily get behind the inverse that they're all going to outperform. Yeah, right. Of course. But again, the, yeah, that's the idea behind these reckless predictions, because I think they, they, they're lar like, they're like how we feel. And then when it comes to investing, you know, you don't invest how you feel. You, in, you invest on what you need and what you like, you think long-term, you have to think through that. So that's my reckless prediction is that NVIDIA is going to lose half its value in 2024. Oh, that was mine. That was my <laughs> other one. There you you stole it. That's right. Me and you, buddy. We're sure. I was. I, I didn't say fifty percent, but I said I go through a major cyclical bust in twenty twenty four, and that's the core of the prediction. Yeah. So right. you, maybe you do you have any details on that, or yeah, I, I guess I, I just kind of feel like on headlines. <laughs> yeah. So no, I I think it's it's simple. So it, there's been a lot of really great math to justify this nuts valuation, and it's a nuts valuation that you can justify with the right math. The problem with that math is this is a cyclical business. That's the bottom line. There is a perfectly valid, legitimate chance that buying NVIDIA for today's price and holding it for 10 years, you're going to make money and maybe even beat the market, but you're also going to lose half your money within a year, right? Both of those two things are very realistic outcomes because all it's going to take is this land grab that we've seen into artificial intelligence, one little bit of bad news on the economy globally. And companies, it's really easy for them just to pull back on spending on data center and cloud spending. We talked about that with Amazon, with Amazon, what they dealt with, with startups and VC, like the impact of the VC money drying up affected their business directly. You think about that broadly on the economy and all of a sudden companies that have thrown money at AI to impress investors and to impress customers, and they're not monetizing it. And then the economy gets bad. They stop spending money. And you know what that means? NVIDIA takes a huge hit and these massive growth numbers we've seen they dry up really, really quickly. And the company's fine. And a couple of years later, it'll bounce back. But I think that's a very realistic possibility to happen as soon as 2024. Two things to add on there. That was part of my, I agree with that. That was part of my reckless position too. 
reckless prediction as well. Two things though. One, the geopolitical risk with China, it is materializing and it actually may have, I've, these are a bit of hot takes from some people and people disagree with that, but it may have helped the numbers over the last few quarters as that market tried to really Pulling ramp up their supply, but yeah, yeah, pull forward. Yeah. And I, I think that could have a major impact on revenue. Although again, that's a little bit unpredictable. And then what a third thing, or excuse me, second thing for me, third thing overall of what is actually happening is all three of the hyperscalers. So Microsoft Azure, Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud are trying to vertically integrate more and more with their training chips and their computing chips and all, all the stuff that goes along with the generative AI. And I think the higher the reason NVIDIA's operating margins are so high is because the prices per unit that they're selling are extremely high right now because there's this, a restriction of supply. And that is incentivizing, like the higher those prices are, I think it is just the more and more incentive for these hyperscalers to invest in their own chips because NVIDIA is such a large take rate on their cloud business now. And yes, they provide, you know, I mean, NVIDIA sells so many of these chips for a reason because they're good, but I think it's, you see all these investments from AWS, Azure, and, and Google Cloud into these things. I mean, Google Cloud really was kind of first here and they're, they're trying to be extremely vertically integrated with all the stuff they're doing. But yeah, I think that can present a headwind as well. Okay, Mr. Santoro, it's your turn, buddy. All right, I'm going to do mine. And then I, I want to circle back because Ryan gave us three and I want to make sure we don't gloss over his other two. So let me give my first, we'll come back to Ryan's other two because I'm curious about the housing one in particular. And then we can come around and see if anyone has any others. So last year, my pick, my prediction was that we would not see a recession in 2023 and that inflation would improve, not go away, but improve. And I'm sticking- This is Jeff bragging. That was, that was a little bit of a brag right there. a boy, there we go. Because I'm bad at just about everything else with investing, so I'll take it where I can get it. So my, I'm staying macro. I'm staying big picture. I think in 2024, this is, I guess, this kind of goes along with. I think the S&P 500 is going to be down at least 20 percent by the end of 2024. I went back and looked because I didn't remember it, in 2022 it was down 19 point something percent. So my basic thesis is that the market will be worse in 2024 than it was in 2022. So I picked 28% as a number. I, I don't have any data to back this up just to keep that theme going. I just feel like, I don't know, right now feels, has 2021 vibes to me, the last little bit of time here in the market. And I, I was thinking through like all the uncertainty that's out there. There's two major wars happening. We still don't know what's going to happen with a potential recession. There still is inflation. The Fed may or may not cut rates in 2024. There's going to be a very contentious political election this year. Like, I, I just, it's a, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I also think, too, some of the impact, I, at least I was expecting to see in this year as a result of higher interest rates, I, I think might just be coming later. So I wonder if some of the bad returns I'm predicting in 2024 actually come from business fundamentals starting to crack a little bit. I don't know, a lot of talk about pricing action in 2023, and at some point that ends. So I do wonder if we're going to see businesses that have been able to pass those costs along with their customers have the chickens come home to roost, so to speak, a little bit in 2024. So all that together, my reckless prediction, markets down 20% or more in 2024. That's right. interesting. So Jeff, I think you want a recession because I think you want cheaper stocks because you want to buy more stocks. Narrator, he does. There you go. Love it. Love it. But I do think it's it's interesting. You and I've talked offline about this and I've made some videos on our YouTube channel about it. Like the cost of capital, 
Cost of capital hit VC already, right? It's hit startups, it's hit IPOs. We've seen that play out in real time, right? We've seen REITs get smashed because REITs always, like they front run what's going to happen with private real estate, right? So that's, we've seen that, that hap is, is affect, cost of capital has affected real estate. We haven't seen it affect a lot of industrials, utilities, besides like next era energy. We haven't seen it affect a lot of utilities. We haven't seen a lot of like the debt laden companies that are, they're just now starting to have to roll the debt, right? It's just beginning. It's just beginning. So Jeff, I agree with you directionally, like the impact on like real businesses and like their profitability with interest rates. That's a 2024 story. I believe that whole, wholeheartedly. Ryan, we're going to circle back to you on this one. And then we're going to go backwards to Simon. You talked about housing. I feel like this is a little bit of the Jason telling Ryan why he's wrong show, and I don't want to be that way. But thinking about housing, like I love the the I love what you're thinking here, but I think it's not going to happen because there's no inventory, and because the the build rates they're starting more homes. The builders are starting like home home starts picked up a ton this month, like from last year and month over month. But like permits, building permit rates are still way down. The, this, the buyer is healthy. People want to, there's massive pinup demand to buy houses. There's no inventory. So I don't think we're going to see, as long as owners continue to sit on the sidelines, not selling, I don't think we're going to see a further decline in housing prices, which since I disagree with you, means they'll be down like 12, 13% this year. Yeah. That's a, if he disagrees with you, you're right. It, this is your prediction will come true. So it, yeah. And I think sometimes I just like, it's just the non-homeowner in me, like prices will come back for sure. Is that your, you're trying to manifest it to be so? Yeah. No. So I get, okay. I went through this last year, Brett and I talked about this over and over and I'm sure the listeners got bored of it, but all the points you made, I see that. And I see that there's this massive undersupply, but at percent plus mortgage rates, the, it, it, requ it requires basically like what was it? 40 to 50% of the median income earner in the U S yeah. 40 to 50% of their monthly income. It's no, unaffordable. It's not dedicated it's, yeah, right. to, to a new mortgage. And so either, I think Michael Burricard called it a slow plane crash because you don't, you don't have to like, it's not like a fire sale asset, right? This is something you t tend to wait on. But I think as people progressively see their neighbor sell their house at 10% less, Suddenly, there's going to be that price realization where people are like, okay, my Zestimate is not what my home is worth. My home is worth what people can afford. And the fact is, people simply cannot afford it at 8% mortgages. And we're either prices stay exactly where they are, which is very possible, and transactions come down, which is what happened this year. Prices came down right. slightly, but transactions were down like 50 or 60% year over year. So either transactions continue to be slow. Or we start to see kind of the average sale price kind of come down a little bit is the way I'm thinking. Or everything stays flat and the median income grows gradually for the next eight years until that affordability starts to get in the right ballpark where it's been historically. I don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe it is just a non-homeowner in me. Like, yeah, prices should, should come down because I need to buy one or whatever. But <laughs> it's I just have a hard time seeing how it works when you have to spend 50% of your income on a mortgage. And if that is the case, like if that's the new reality that people are, that housing is that valuable to people, 
the stock market is going to have a rough time because there isn't enough discretionary income to go to other goods and services. It's called a gift from your boomer parents who have managed to perfectly live through 35 years of positive wealth building tailwinds and tax policy because they- And lower interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of the things, all the things. But here, but here's here's my here's my question for the group, right? And it's tied to Ryan's prediction. And this is me being a little bit naive to all this. The the, the in the history of selling houses, right? Zero or low interest rates is the anomaly, not the norm, right? So, I don't think we need to get back to sub two percent mortgage rates for people to start moving again. What I wonder is, it's easy right now for someone to say, "I was going to move, but mortgage rates are higher, so I'm not going to." But that person has in their head, I want to move. So the question I have is, is it five and a half percent? Is it five and a quarter? Is it four and three quarters? Like there at some point, mortgage rates will get will will like break the log jam a little bit and still be significantly higher than they were two years ago. But people will start to be like, all right, I waited a year and a half, I waited two years, whatever. My my kids are now older, they need two bedrooms, whatever the thing is. And I think I think we'll see things start to be move a little bit more in the market. The undersupply thing is a different story, but I, I think that'll help a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what everyone else thinks about that. I, I like, yeah, or, I like that. And I would also, 10% might be a little dramatic, like a 10% decline, but I, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get at, Jeff, is that there's a lot of people who- There's a reason we call this the Reckless Prediction Show, Ryan. You're, you're, it's, you're right on brand. Yeah. It's going to be a slow grind down- because there's a lot of people that are willing to wait. I mean, it's a home we're talking about. People aren't like selling it like a stock. So it's, unless back, we go back to like the iBuying days, it was, we're, we're, we're seeing that now where I think it's, and you see everyone has their own anecdotal evidence where it's like someone saw their neighbor sell their house for a million dollars last year. And they say, well, my house is worth more than their house, but rates are up 8%. They're just not going to sell for a while until they realize that the only bid they're going to get is a certain price. So that's why I think it's going to be like more of a slow, steady grind down unless rates come back down. Yeah. Let me add some stuff here. First, I will say, Jason, you said it was reckless prediction. We do this, me and Ryan do something similar every year and he always has his predictions that I go, right. How, how reckless truly is that? But it's okay. This is still a fantastic discussion. And one of mine is actually going to be almost exactly similar to Ryan's. But I had two parts to it. First is that mortgage rates fall to the 5% to 6% range. And we've seen it come from 8% down to 6 I think at a half percent today from the guy I follow on Twitter. So my prediction is that they, they come down, but that is the catalyst for as basically the same prediction as Ryan of nominal home prices falling by 10% or more in 2024. I think I have a few reasons for that. There's two main ones. One is that lowering of the mortgage rates is going to unlock supply from say existing homes so excluding new homes getting built and i think that's potentially getting underrated by analysts there i think there could be a lot of people that wanted to sell but have been waiting and that can unlock a huge flurry of supply hitting the market from existing homes and then second is the record multifamily complexes under construction or multifamily units, but in these larger complexes that are going to be, you know, rental places is under construction in the United States right now. And right. I think a lot of once that comes online, yep. yeah, we could see rental, pro, you know, average rental rates for monthly home. rental rates come that, down. That does have a, a lagging effect on selling prices for houses. It, it's true. Yeah. So I think the spread, like the spread of the average mortgage payment versus the rental rate is the, maybe the widest it's been in a, in a long time. 
Yeah. And I think that's going to, there's going to be, if, if rental prices don't go up or not re rental rates don't go up and if they even go down, that could cause more pressure on the difference between affordability for renting versus buying. And I think that could, you know, even if homes get a little bit more affordable because mortgage rates come back to the normalization of kind of a little bit higher than long-term treasuries, I, I think that could be a catalyst for that as well. Simon, haven't heard you from you for quite some time here, buddy. What's your second reckless prediction for us? This is all fascinating. You know, I think that mine, the second one, this is kind of related to a lot of the things we've talked about is the opportunity cost of capital. Yeah. If you talk to people a month ago, they, anyone felt like a genius who was getting 5% for parking their cash in the bank, right? I remember cocktail parties, everyone's like, hey, why would I invest in stocks? You know, only 5%, I'm getting 5% a year just by parking it. Yeah, we've had a pretty good year in the stock market in the six weeks since those conversations were happening, yeah. right? And look at Santa Claus rally now, you know, everybody yeah, who's got yeah. that money parked is saying, oh, I should have bought, I should have put it back in the market. I mean, these conversations will be different a year from now, even just in a couple of months from now. You should look at kind of like the bigger picture, you know, this animal spirits mentality of the stock market. Mm -hmm. There's FOMO, there's greed. This is how these, these auctions that are called the stock market work. And I think that we've seen money on the sidelines for so long and other viable opportunity costs. And eventually people are going to say, you know, I'm putting my money back into equity. So that's going to influence a lot of what happens next year, S&P included. To answer your question, though, my second prediction is related to the bifurcation of financial services now. What I mean by that is it, it feels to me like things we just used to call banking are, are, are not what banks are doing anymore, right? You know, it used to be banks would go out there and they'd acquire customers or, you know, they, they'd have these relationships with their customers over time or whatever it might be. And it just seems like banks are just becoming these like highly regulated pools of capital where you've got other companies out there like Upstart that are going out there and originating your loans for you, right? Or you've got companies on social media that do it really well that are, that are acquiring new customers for very, very low acquisition costs. You've got apps like SoFi who are managing that relationship through this really user-friendly app. Whereas your bank app probably sucks, at least compared to the ones that have built in the last couple of years. I feel like banks are just becoming like these highly regulated pools of capital. And so my second prediction is, I think that if you put a basket of three stocks in each of these, one that we'll call FinTech and one that we'll call banks, the FinTech one I'll call, I'll put SoFi, Upstart, and Affirm Holdings in the FinTech basket. And then the bank basket, I'm going to put JP Morgan, Bank of America, and Citigroup. I think the FinTech basket outperforms the banking basket by 10 percentage points at least next year. And that probably oh, might be 2025. Spicy I, I take would, there. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to support this one. And, and I would say that, that that basket, Simon, again, the caveat is the economy doesn't tank close to the end of the year and cause the market to tumble. I'd say that basket goes up 30, 40% this year. You know, I think that's a reasonable expect. It's, well, it's not reasonable, but it's an it's an it's a it's a perfectly reckless reasonable. And you look at the market caps too, just to add something to this Chase. I jotted this down. JP Morgan's a five hundred billion dollar market cap roughly. Bank of America is still two hundred and fifty billion. Citigroup a hundred billion. SoFi is ten billion, a firm is fifteen billion, upstart is four billion. But if you kind of see that shift in share, there's really no reason that you can't see those numbers where they are today be five, ten X in a couple of years in the future. I don't think that we've even seen the beginnings of how large these fintech companies are going to become. Yeah. Interesting. It's weird how everyone has one overlapping with mine because the other one I had that is that the financial sector overall is going to be the best performing sector in 2024, which the last couple of weeks has 
made that a little bit tougher, but I still think that the overall sector is going to do quite well. Maybe not the big banks who were a little bit more advantaged in 2023, but I think there's a lot of smaller traditional financials, whether more newer age or even the older ones that will, there's a lot of opportunity here for the headwinds to go away and the, the good businesses to, to start doing, you know, showing their feathers again in 2024. I like that. I, it's interesting to think about the that sector doing well in 2020. I, I haven't looked at it, this, I, so I could be completely wrong. You guys can tell me if, if you know more than I do on this, but I, I do wonder- We all if, do, Jeff. We, we all do. Thanks, Jason. I set you up on a tee for that one. I do wonder if there's still some like hangover from everything that went on in March, just in investors' minds generally. Oh, banks, banks scary, banks bad. You know, like I, sometimes that stuff just is in the zeitgeist and it, and it impacts things. All right, I have a silly one, and it's my last reckless prediction, and I'll, I'll share it here as I, I just want to make sure we stay on time. All right, so news this week that U.S. Steel is going to be, is agreed to be acquired by Nippon, Nippon Steel, Steel the, yeah, yeah Japanese. The, the Japanese steel company, right? Yeah. So U.S. Steel's ticker symbol is X. So if this deal goes through, they will no longer trade under ticker symbol X. So Elon Musk will use this as an opportunity to IPO Twitter just so he can have ticker. But then when it goes public, he will no longer be the CEO. Well, I know he's not now, but someone else. And they'll just change the name back to Twitter. So that's my, that's my reckless prediction that this will be the reason that Elon IPOs Twitter now X just to get the ticker. But then ultimately someone will change the ticker. So yeah, there you know, I need, to this one. The, I need to read yeah. the SEC filings for the, for the, for the terms, like whatever terms of the deal, once the deal closes, assuming regulators let it pass, I need to read the terms to find out how much Elon Musk has given to Nippon Steel. It's about a $7 billion <laughs> premium. So I'm guessing he'll probably throw a couple billy goats in there. Yeah. At this He's point, subsidizing you know, the, the acquisition. In for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. I think that's I, just goofy enough to work, Santoro. I have a question. Yeah. Because you say that, and I think... This is the perfect opportunity for some revenueless SPAC to go out there and get the ticker X and resell it to Elon. Is there such thing as like ticker pirates, the way they've got like URL pirates? Yeah, th that happened with Meta. Meta, M -E, the M-E-T-A -E one. I think Facebook, now Meta, bought, bought it from someone. Was it NYSC or was it NASDAQ? Where, which one were they listed on US Steel before? Do you remember? I think it's New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, yeah US Steel. Can check the, right now. Yeah, they're on the New York. So like they need to do an auction for that one. Highest bidder wins. Let's, let's crowdfund. Let's crowdfund the money. Come on, that's right. We can do this. I think yeah, we could probably yeah. scrape together. You know enough. All right, so we, we might have to ask one or two more of our podcast friends to get involved before we jump. <laughs> so we're going to do a lightning round in in a minute or two. But before we do, does anyone else have any any other reckless predictions they brought to the table that they they want to make sure they get off their chest? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to predict that Jeff Santoro's portfolio returns, his actual portfolio returns, percentage basis are superior to mine this year. What? Why would you predict that? Because it's a reckless <laughs> prediction that's not going to happen. That's why. All right. You heard it here. We will review in a year. All right. So lightning round. Everyone, what do you want to do, Jace? Do you want to have everyone ask you, answer each question, but really quickly, and then we'll just kind of yeah, go Here's around. the rules. Here's the rules. Right. We ask the question. You get like three seconds to think about it, and then you blurt out whatever your gut reaction is. No caveats, no explaining it. You just, it's out there for the world to own. And then you have to own it in a year. That's the, that's the deal. That's the deal. All right, Jason, you read the first one and, and you call on who you want to answer. Okay. All right. 
<clears throat> better performance in 2024. Bonds or the S&P 500? Ryan Henderson. Bonds. Because, I, I mean, I got to go with No, nope, that. That's it. That's it. You can't right. say anything else. Well, it, it follows my reckless prediction. There you go. There you go. All right. Are we going to give everyone else the chance or are you just going to ask one person? Just, right. just one. Just one. All right. Next question. What is the best and worst performer in 2024 from the MAG-7? And I don't mean to pick on the same person, but Ryan, because you brought a MAG-7 prediction to this podcast, you have to answer this one as well. Best performer and worst performer out of the MAG-7 in 2024. I think Amazon will still do well. I'll take Amazon as best performer. I'll take as worst performer just to just because it's been so good this year. Love it. Okay, ready? Here's the next one. So popular theme in 2023, a theme of stocks that did well this year that will have a bad year in 2024. Simon. No, oh, geez. Okay. I mean, everyone is obsessed with AI right now and everyone's following this Altman, you know, Sam Altman open AI thing. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, I don't know if this is a bad theme, but I, I think that that company is going to get slashed into pieces because they're going to have a lot of the talent leaving OpenAI. I think that, you know, this was just the first domino to fall. We've seen it before, like companies like Salesforce, really, really great talent pools for really smart people. Yeah. And OpenAI certainly did that. But you can, you can just see the divergence, right, between yeah, between Sam of like, you know, is this an open source AI platform right. like it was intended to be, or is this a commercialized, you know? The, the goalposts are getting moved to another stadium in another city for another yeah. sport. And by the way, this could affect all of humanity, right? AI is, you know, being cautioned by people like Elon Musk and very smart people as possibly blowing up, you know, humanity. So we've got ultimate riding on this and OpenAI, I think at last valuation was like a $90 billion company, $100 billion company. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that ind indirectly answers your question of, you know, what was popular last year that's less popular this year. I think OpenAI is worth significantly less because they're trying to do too many things. And I think there's going to be a talent migration. And it's going to pull the whole AI theme down with it. I, I think that's reasonable. I really do. I mean, I, I'm the guy that predicted that there's going to be a, a hard crash for NVIDIA because people are going to stop buying those big AI servers. So I'm not going well, to argue and, there. And one comment on that right now is that like NVIDIA has been the one to cash the AI craze so far. Yeah. Right? It's been in the hardware yeah. rather than the software and rather the platform. But you see in stuff like prompt engineering out there, now people are figuring out how to use this thing, how to train AI to answer questions more efficiently. That's hugely valuable for the enterprise. So you're going to see a whole bunch of these, you know, boutique AI firms, whatever you want to call them, the people that did that at OpenAI because they were the front runner and the innovator. I, I think they're going elsewhere and they can start their own companies. All right. What's next, Jeff? Okay. Brett, this one's for you. Name a company you think will get acquired in 2024 and by whom? Electronic Arts. Please. Disney. I was going to say Amazon, but I hope it's not Amazon. I like that. Disney. Yeah. I think we're going to keep seeing consolidation in gaming. There's no doubt about that. No There's doubt no about it at all. There's no way. Yeah, I think the clear is the, the, well, I mean, they've been apparently trying to prod. I don't know. The rumors, the, there's rumors on Disney every week, so it's hard to get a good read, but right. they've been trying to prod the, the company to acquire Electronic Arts. And now that Activision has gone through, there's no, you can't block it anymore. Yeah, so I think there's going to be a lot of companies that want either Electronic Arts or Take-Two Interactive because they see them as viable pieces, but like with Activision Blizzard, I think it probably, they'll probably overpay and it's not a strategic asset that's going to, like they're good businesses on their own, but I don't see how it fits in. I, Disney gets is a, little, a little bit desperate Maybe right Sony. now. Maybe Sony buy it. Sony could, yeah. Maybe yeah, Sony. that's a good point. All right, let's do two more, Jason, then we'll, we'll wrap. Okay, all right. So let's see here. Two more. Let's, oh boy, oh boy. I'm going to skip that one because I already did that one. All right, this is fun. I want to put Simon back on the spot for this one. Will there be a recession in 2024? 
Yeah, I think so. Okay, we're done. That's it. That's all I yeah. can say. All right. Here, so here's what we'll do. What we'll qualifies do... as a recession again? What is it? To the, the, the rule is kind of a it's. The from what I, from my answer was declining it's like two, two, two quarters of two, economic two quarters, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Two. Yeah. Two quarters. Two quarters. Jeff, what's yours? All right. Here's the last one, and it's totally personal. So in the, in our 2023 portfolio contest, Jason and I picked an unportfolio stocks that we thought would do poorly, and my two picks actually almost outperformed the entire portfolio. So everyone gets to answer. He did it wrong, one. is what he said. I did it wrong. Yeah. Um, in 2024, who will have a, a worst year in terms of returns, Meta or Tesla? Everyone gets to answer. Brett, you go first. Ooh, I mean, both are up so much. Okay, sorry. I got a Tesla. I think short term, they have more headwinds. All right, Ryan. I would typically say Tesla, but there was rumors today that Mark Zuckerberg is building a 100-foot bunker in Hawaii, and I think that's to protect him from shareholders after he raises these catbacks on Facebook Reality Lab, so or what? Not Facebook Reality Lab. So mean, yeah, Meta with the capex right. is going to shoot up again. Simon, Meta or Tesla? Uh, worst. Well, my first question is who wins the cage match, Mark or Elon? <laughs> we we didn't get that. We're supposed to go to the Coliseum, and there was supposed to be this big thing, right? Oh, I don't Elon, think there's any, Elon's a any question. Maybe. He's yeah, yeah he'd he, get his ass kicked. I think. I mean that that might be the answer is whoever wins the cage match has the better year for the stock, just because enthusiasm. <laughs> I don't know. Meta's up 186% year to date. Tesla's up 105% year to date. I mean, these are both great heck of a year for both companies. I probably think that Tesla has a better year next year. So Meta underperforms. There you go. All right, Jason, you get to answer two and then you can wrap us. Oh, I get to answer two? Yeah. I don't want to answer. Probably probably Tesla because I think they're going to struggle with with the two things. I think they're going to struggle with the Cybertruck. I really do think it's going to be a problem and they're probably going to have to make some major changes because there's going to be safety issues because of the weight. It, it, this thing's like launching a cannon at other vehicles. Those are going to be problems. I think they're going to be issues it has to deal with. And I Sharp steel corners. Yeah, that's stuff. <laughs> yeah. And the larger lag that we're seeing with every other EV company out there with weak demand, eventually that's going to affect Tesla too. I really do. I think we're going to have to have a sea change of like solid state batteries that make the vehicles lighter and vastly increase range and charge time. I think, I think Tesla's going to have a tough year. I really do. I really do. So I answered that. Okay, so you should. All right, Jeff, Jeff has to say it. Oh, okay. Jeff has I, to say it. All right, yeah. I'll I'll, ch- yeah. I'll chime in too. I think I also think it'll be, it'll be Tesla. I I just think they have more more headwinds facing them. I really thought the capex spend on Reality Labs, like you, Ryan, would would be the thing that sunk Meta's ship this year. And I thought the year of efficiency was just you know PR nonsense to calm people down. But there was a little bit more, a little bit more efficiency. So yeah, I would go with Tesla. All right, this is this has been fun. We crammed a lot of fun into this. 50-ish minutes or so with our dear podcasting friends, Brett, Ryan, Simon, really appreciate you guys coming on. Simon, you go first. Where can people find you? Social media and the wonderful, wonderful product you have at 7investing. Where can they find you? 7investing.com is our website. And actually just this week, Jason, we put together our 23 year in review. It's our look at every single one of the recommendations that is active on our scorecard. Not only do we kind of give an update on them, but we also give a conviction rate and we figure which of these are our, our strongest buys, which of these are our weakest holds. And uh, that's kind of influencing the new recommendations we're going to be putting on the scorecard every month. Awesome. Thanks for that. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes too, to, to make it really easy for people to find you. Ryan, what about you? Chit Chat Money, Spotify, Apple, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast, look up the show, Chit Chat Money. There is, we're, we're, we're throwing out a potential name change. So 
it's kind of on the table right now, but if you follow Chit Chat Money, the name might change. It should still have Chit Chat in it, but we'll, we'll see about that. Stay tuned. All the cool, all the cool kids. Buying the Ticker X? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All the Chit- cool kids change their podcast names. Yeah. The, uh, but first, sh- it'll definitely still have Chit Chat at the start. So search any of that. And it's also on YouTube. And then I would say if you want to follow on the show, we have a Twitter account, Chit Chat Money, I guess. Maybe that handle will change in the near future, but that's an easy way to follow us. We post every single one of our episodes there. So you can get the links there. That's awesome. I'm going to suggest that you don't change it to Chit Chat X because I don't think that that's going to be the target. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So guys, again, thank you so much for this. Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. Stay tuned. We got more stuff on the second part of the show after we take a short break. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you really enjoyed the first part of the show today. We had three great guests, and I think we had a lot of fun with the predictions. I do feel a little bit, Jeff, like at some point I turned it into the Jason's picking on Ryan and his bad predictions episode. It was probably a little unfair to Ryan. Well, if he never comes back on the show again, we'll know why. Because of you, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. So this is the part of the show we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a look at last year's episode and the predictions. What exactly are we going to do? So we did, this is the second year we've done a reckless prediction show. We had different guests each time and I don't know what we'll do next year, but that's what we did last year and this year. So I thought it would be fun if we sent, you know, spent 10 or 15 minutes here at the end of this episode, not necessarily picking on or praising the people who were right or wrong. But when I went back and listened to that show from last year, and by the way, if anyone hasn't is a newer listener, I do recommend going back and giving that one a listen. I don't remember the exact episode number, but it's from December of last year, probably 30 something, because the, the things we were talking about stuck out to me as being very interesting a year later. So for example, there was a conversation around the quote unquote crazy stuff that Elon Musk episode, was saying. Episode 31. Okay, 31. So we talked about the crazy stuff Elon Musk was saying on Twitter, because this was back in the, I forget, was this after he took it private? Regardless, it was a long time ago in the, in the history of recent Twitter. So I, I thought it was just really interesting to hear the, the five of us and what mindsets we were in at the end of last year versus this year. It seems like not that long ago, but also seems like a very long time ago. And I, it, was a good, it was a good lesson to me about how much can change in a small amount of time, relatively speaking. So anyway, we're going to go through each of the questions that we asked our guests that episode, and we're not going to necessarily go to what each person said, but we're going to more have a high-level conversation about the vibes and what we were thinking back then and what happened over the course of the year. So, all right, Jason, the first question we asked everyone on that episode was, will the S&P 500 hit a new high in 2023? And it was a mixed bag. A couple people said yes, a couple people said no. I'm curious, you were one of the people that said no, but you also said that the largest companies in the S&P 500 would have to go up in order for the S&P 500 to hit a new high. And you said they wouldn't because basically they're too large. Yeah. And I was excessively, (laughs) excessively wrong. Anybody, you guys should remember from the first part of the show where I pulled up the Magnificent Seven, which are the largest seven, and they're all up at least 50% this year, right? Uh, And- The thing is, like, this is the thing that confounded me a little bit is my thought at the beginning of the year, and you got to remember the beginning of last year, so almost two years ago now, they were all down a ton. And like, I didn't, I didn't particularly see a massive amount of upside based on valuation because interest rates were going up and I felt like the stock market broadly was going to, multiples were going to come down. 
and what have we seen? Like Apple hasn't really grown its earnings, but it's trades for 30 times earnings now, right? So multiples have, have increased across the board. And so there's something, something insolvent, something, something insane, irrational, right? I mean, it's... Well, I, I do think it's interesting. I feel like the people who said, the people who thought the way you did were kind of right in the sense that it does seem like it was multiple expansion for a lot of these businesses more than it yep. was actual, oh, revenue right. grew. It wasn't, it wasn't earnings growth. Correct. Right. Right. So it, it, I think it's more about how the market has been, you know, what the sentiment has been this year versus the business fundamentals. So I, and I think yeah. you were thinking business fundamentals when you answered that question. So yeah, very, very much so. And, yeah. and the market, we know the market is vibes drive, vibes drive. You, you wrote about this in our, our newsletter not too long ago that, you know, uh, vibes and sentiment drives price, right? And that's 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 what we've seen this year. The sentiment is very very high coming into the end of the year. By the way, we're recording this on the twentieth, so there's still a week of trading left. It's probably not going to be much of a change. Yeah, probably. All right. The next question we asked everyone was to make a reckless merger and acquisition prediction. These were interesting. So, Deidre Willard would. Oh my God, Deidre Willard who was uh, one of our guests. She's a, a Motley Fool contributor. If anyone listens to the Motley Fool Money podcast, you hear Deidre several times a week. She predicted that someone would buy Kohl's and she thought it might be Amazon. And that was an interesting one and it made sense, but that has not happened. I don't think Kohl's has been acquired by anyone over the course of this year. No, but my God, I'm pretty sure they've been trying, trying to, right? Yeah. That's one that may may actually still end up being right, just not during the calendar year of 2023. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But I thought that was a good, a pretty good guest slash prediction on, on Deidre's part. Travis Hoyam, another guest from last year on the podcast. Before you say that, real quick, yeah. the interesting thing about that prediction too is that there was a lot of talk about Amazon getting more into brick and mortar retail and like last mile for like pickups and stuff. True. That was part yeah. of the idea. That Nothing's changed there either. Well, and, and just really quickly on Amazon, I... I feel like we were all in a very different headspace with Amazon as a company a year ago too. They were still burning, they were still operating income negative with the with the e-commerce side of the of the business and still trying to I hate the word right size, but basically right size the business coming out of the massive doubling of their distribution footprint over the previous 2 years. So they were still Working out. I will the... posit, Jeff. I will posit that Amazon had a better year of efficiency than Meta. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. But just, I mean, it, it's funny what how much a year, what a difference a year makes. Yeah, we were no, all exactly. wondering and hoping that they'd turn the corner a year ago, and it turns like turns out that they they have in a lot of ways. Okay, Travis Hoyam, another guest on the podcast this past year. You can check out his work at Asymmetric Investing. His prediction was that the Activision Blizzard deal, the acquisition of them by Microsoft, would not go through. So that was wrong, but I don't think it was a wild guess back then because it was pretty dicey up until kind of the end. I mean, there was some... It, it, it was. like If you looked at, at Activision's stock price, the market clearly didn't expect it to happen. And then broadly across the entire industry, like the second part of his prediction that the deal was going to fall through in Amazon's or that Activision stock price would collapse even more, directionally it made sense because across the industry, everybody was trading for a lot less. All of the big gaming studios were trading for a lot less. So, and since then, of course, that deal went through and everybody's prices have continued to to move higher because everybody's expecting more consolidation to happen. And honestly, in in the current regulatory environment, I, I think betting against mergers and acquisitions is 
going to be a winning bet more times than not. Yeah. So not a bad not a bad pick even if it didn't turn out to to be correct. Yeah, uh, but it's also it's fun to be able to to make fun of Travis. Oh, absolutely. And I'm pretty sure he'll never hear this, so we can we'll continue to make fun of him throughout throughout the show. I'm going to take a video like a, a a clip of this and I'm going to text it to him. <laughs> okay, another guest from last year's show, Tyler Crow, who we just had on a few weeks ago, is the the very smart mind behind Misfit Alpha newsletter which finds undercovered and under misunderstood stocks. His his prediction for merger and acquisition was that some of these newer, smaller startup electric vehicle companies would be acquired by some legacy autos. And yep. I don't believe that has happened either, unless I missed one along the way. It has been 100% incorrect so far. But I actually, I remember that at the time thinking that was a very plausible, I was even saying I could, I think the example I gave on that podcast was, I think I used Rivian and one of them, GM or something as an example. Like, do you see them pick up one of these smart, smaller startups and just let it live as it is under the umbrella, not necessarily turn it into the legacy autos vehicles. That was my prediction on top of his prediction, and none of that has happened. Well, the um, thing that's the thing that's happened there, Jeff, is the auto industry broadly. Like EV sales have really slowed. It's still growing, but demand has slowed enormously. Like the pace of growth has fallen off, and now you have the Rivians of the world, the Lucids of the world that are really struggling to get uptake. Ford's F-150 Lightning, I mean, there was huge pinup demand for it, and then the demand just evaporated, and now there's trucks sitting on lots, right, that they're trying to sell. So the appetite for from Big Auto, because they've all cut their own internal, like GM sliced their, their growth, their expectations for EV sales in half, basically. Ford's done the same thing. They're all delaying expansion projects. So they're not going to buy anybody else. And as a result, these, these startups, they're dying on the vine. The Wall Street Journal just released a piece today that said that like 18 of these either EV startups or like auto EV battery startups are going to run out of capital in 2024. I mean, it's, yep. it's ugly out there. So yeah, he may be right. Just maybe early. Yeah. A lot of that. That's the fun thing about these, you know, these other than the Activision Blizzard one, which actually has happened, some of these could still take place. Yeah, he right. and Deidre may prove to just have been early with their predictions. Yeah. Okay. The last merger and acquisition prediction was mine. I said that Zoom would make a big acquisition of of some teams like competitor, and that was totally wrong too. They they did nothing. They're still sitting on their significant pile of cash. And you sort of built on top of that and said you thought they could actually be acquired, and that has not happened either. So both of those are still things that I guess technically could happen in the future. The next two questions we asked everyone, I don't think we should spend a lot of time on them because no. I don't want this to run super long, but we asked everyone's favorite stock for the year and stock they bet against. And I'll just read through them real quick. Favorite stocks, Travis chose Win Resorts. Deidre yeah. chose Prologis. Tyler agreed and went with Prologis as well. I chose Airbnb and you chose STEM. Wolf. So people yeah. people who can who are listening can look at those year, year-to-date performances and Make their own judgments about how how right we were to pick these as favorites. Foreshadowing, um, STEM may come up again in our 2024 portfolio contest that we're going to launch in another couple of weeks. Ooh. Just saying. Tune in. Tune in. Stocks we'd bet against. Travis chose Tesla. He chose Tyler, poorly. Well, I chose poorly as well. So we yes, are on the did. same page with that. Yeah. Yep. Tyler said any company that said they'd be profitable by the end of the year, he was taking a <laughs> shot at all of the software companies that were burning cash and unprofitable. He 
he, I believe his quote was color me skeptical that they would be able to turn it around. And some have, I mean, if we're yeah, being fair. In fact, one was, of them that started to was Deidre's stock that she bet against, which was Asana. Yeah. That at least has started to turn the corner. A lot of those them. companies still ended up having really good years because of the vibe of the market as the years progressed. Yeah. And I, I hedged a little and I went with all the SaaS companies like Asana. Cause I think I've had, I've had Twilio on my mind for over a year now in that, in that regard. And they actually have made some progress. All right. The last one I think that's interesting to talk about. We asked about if we thought, if the guests thought stocks or crypto as a, as a group would do better. And I don't know, it, crypto has been such a weird, it was a hard question, I think, for people to answer because there's, there's the big stable, quote unquote, stable crypto things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and Solana. And then there's, you know, 700,000 shit coins. So it's sort of hard to lump crypto into a big bucket. But Deidre thought Bitcoin could come back a little bit. You, you, you thought that crypto could have a good year. I, I felt like crypto would do better than people think, but maybe not have a great year. And up until very recently, maybe the last couple months, crypto kind of did nothing all year. And all of a sudden, it's, it's just been on a run. Wow. Which is funny how people used to think it was a hedge against the market, and it has not been that, at least in my time watching it, it's been exactly correlated with the market. The market's through, been on a through run. This, yeah, through this recording, the S&P's up a ton. It's up like 26% this year. Is that right? It's 20-something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I haven't it's, looked. Inc- it's really, really good. The NASDAQ 100's up 55%. That's remarkable, right? Mm-hmm. It's up 81%. Bitcoin's up 154% and Solana 600%. Bonkers. Been a good year for crypto. This is the one I got right. This is the one I got right. All right, here's the, la- here's the last one. We asked everyone at the end for their own individualized reckless prediction. We call them the bespoke, the bespoke reckless predictions. Tyler predicted that inflation and interest rates would stay elevated. Hitting 500. I said that I thought there would be no recession in 2023, and that inflation would be lower, trending down, not gone, but that the Fed would continue to raise interest rates. And yeah. I was mostly right on that. You and um, you and Tyler were both basically right. Yeah. I think he, I, I think the difference between the two of us is I think he thought inflation would stay a little higher than it, than it's, it did. It is, it is elevated, but like his vibe was like 4%, not yeah. close right. to three. Travis predicted Tesla would lose money in 2023. They made $11 billion for those scoring at oh. home. Let's be With nice. The quarter it was, left. It was only eleven billion. That's true. They could they could lose twelve billion in Q four, and then he'd be right. So let's yeah. we yeah. won't know till after the year is over. Love you, Travis. And Deidre predicted that I buying would is over, and that someone would buy Open Door. I don't believe that has happened. Well, I buying I don't know how successful it's, it's been. I buying is done. It's, yeah, that's but over. no one has bought Open yeah. Door. And the last one you predicted that tech stocks would underperform the market. Narrator. He was wrong. <laughs> so again, I, I mean, it is fun to tease our friends about what they were wrong about, but I really just think it's interesting how, how, how different our heads are and where the different space that our heads are in a year later. And for me, it's, it's been interesting too, because having only really paid attention to the stock market and macroeconomic things in the last four years, this, this one year has been like 25% of that history for me. So it, right. it's been right. a year of learning for me. So I think that was fun just personally to listen back on. So that's it. That was the recap of the 2023 Reckless Prediction Show. I'm I'm hoping we do this every year, kind of look back and then yeah. also make new predictions and 
between the earlier part of this episode and this second part. I hope everyone found this entertaining. Yeah. I, I encourage people to read our newsletter this week. I wrote <clears throat> some thoughts I have about predictions. I think it's really useful. Just like one thing I want to throw out there to encourage people to look at it. Predictions are almost useless, right? And I think like the predictions we make and like the predictions that we favor are more like Rorschach tests than anything. Like the value in predictions is what they tell you about yourself. So check out our newsletter. You can find it at investingunscripted.com. It's a good little bonus thing to have along with the podcast. Jeff, I think we, we did it. We did it. All right, everybody. This was fun. Jeff and I love to make predictions. We love to have people come on and share their predictions about these hard, complicating investing finance topics. But you make your own predictions. So when you screw up, you can't blame us. You can do it. You can screw up on your own. I believe in you. All right, Jeff. See you next time. See you next time.